0: Yo, yo, welcome to the Willys World Podcast. Dope as dope you're ever going to smoke. We're here with our man, Lance Lambert. How are you, Lance? What's going on in America at the moment? How's life? I'm good. I'm good. Well,
1: man, you know, it's a new year. It's a new day. Uh, trying to move forward through all this craziness. But uh, all is good stateside, man. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good, man. Just
0: bumping back and forth. There's been a lot of bullshit in Australia with all this um, coronavirus stuff. Um, a lot of lockdowns, a lot of craziness going on. It's been pretty chaotic we're starting starting to resemble nazi germany to be honest with you um
1: i've but, heard about the lockdowns and the brawls yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um, victoria's been a lot more um scrupulous on on stuff like uh my little brother lives in melbourne and basically you can't you can't work there unless you're double vaccinated oh wow <laughs> so, so they, they haven't made it like a mandate for everybody that they have to get it but um you know they're 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 basically like kind of saying that everybody if there's certain types of jobs if you interact with the public in any way shape or form even if you work at a surf shop or at a retail shop you basically you have to get you have to get double vaccinated to be able to work legally which is pretty insane um i think it's pretty fucked up you know like the world's just gone fucking crazy in the last two years
1: yeah it's insane
0: so, so uh do you want to give us a little bit of a background about um where you where you're from and how you came up from into the cannabis industry and how you started working for meat, weed maps and and now green grows and etc
1: yeah definitely man so i know we've we've talked about it over a, a few conversations on my trips to oz but uh yeah i actually got my start grew up in northern california at the uh, gateway to the emerald triangle as we call it in marine county um, if you've ever heard of the celebratory date or time of 420. Uh, I grew up right there in that neighborhood where uh, 420 and the Waldo's started out. And that was my younger years. Uh, definitely had some ties to what I think we're now calling the traditional industry. Used to be called the legacy industry or the illicit industry here. Um, and then, yeah, man, just it was working my way through my career in, in media and advertising. And uh, the industry called my name. And uh, started out the cannabis, which was a news media site. Uh, we actually uh, were partners there with uh, our mutual friends over at Dopamine uh, down out of Sydney. And then um, further partnered with them when I went over to Weed Maps, was running media with Weed Maps. And that's where we first connected. I was actually yeah. on a world yeah. tour and caught up with you and your beautiful, uh, well, you're. Your, your home city-state, I guess, as it were. I remember flying into Brisbane and working our way down the coast to uh, Gold Coast and Surfer's Paradise. And I think that's where we first caught up. And, uh, you know, did the Mardi Gras and everything and then partied in Sydney and headed back. But that's when I was with Weed Maps, And then uh, moved on to Boveda for a few years uh, before coming here to Green Bros. Um, can, you, can you give us a little bit of
0: rundown on what, what you did with Weed Maps and how you kind of moved on? Like, they, they're kind of synonymous in the weed industry, um they've done pretty good but then also they they have a pretty bad track record with their customer service and and their interaction with a lot of the weed dispensaries that they deal
1: with yeah so i actually had gotten courted by them to head up their digital media so i was managing all aspects of media for them uh for a few years out of their corporate office here in orange county you've been out here i know you know where i'm talking about down in irvine and um, yeah, I was with them for a couple of years. It was definitely an interesting ride. You know, they were uh, at the point that was pre-IPO. They've since gone IPO, thanks to, uh, to Chris Beals over there. And uh, they've changed quite a bit from the company that I once worked for. Um, can't really say much bad. I had a great experience, especially on the media side. Allowed me opportunities to go, obviously, over there to Oz, to, to Europe, um, and all across the country. So, uh, But they are. They're the big, biggest tech company in the space. It's insane you know um but yeah everyone has obviously their opinion and positions on them and and again their penetration of market and position has shifted over the years you know since i left
0: how how, how do you think that they went about becoming the aspen of their industry so to speak for everybody to be synonymous with yeah. them was it right
1: time right place you know what you know the original founder was early on my gosh it was back in oa they've been around for for a minute now and uh yeah, I think it really was just having the right energy, the right people. Some of the guys that I worked with, again, that was a whole other world um, before they went through IPO. But man, it was just you had the right energy. You had guys like me that were coming from digital media. You had guys that were literally coming from the street, that were coming from, you know, uh, the gray market, as we called it, of Prop 60, Prop 215 before Prop 64. Um, but man, it was really a, about promoting the brand, kind of like what you're doing, like what Willie's World is doing, just Promoting not just the brand, but also the lifestyle. And that's what Weed Maps is known for. You know, they're out of Orange County and Orange County. The closest I can compare OC, specifically like Huntington Beach and Redondo Beach and uh, like Balboa and Newport Beach, is again kind of like where you came up, like, you know, Surfer's Paradise, Gold Coast, all the way down to to north of Sydney. It's the same kind of lifestyle of just like beach life, good music, good vibes, good ganja. And they really embraced that. That was the advantage of them being based out of Southern California versus their, their longtime competitor, Leafly, which was out of a rainy, dreary Seattle, Washington, you know? <laughs> so.
0: so the opportunity to be able to make content in SoCal kind of positioned them better to be able to reflect the lifestyle of, the, the, of what the marijuana industry kind of was trying to promote, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it really was. You know, most people, again, this is something that's recognized globally, not just locally. California has always been the epicenter. You know, it's been, it's been the epicenter for us domestically from a culture standpoint, from a craft standpoint. All the latest genetics come out of California. All the badass growers come out of California um, stateside. So yeah, it really was just kind of riding that proverbial wave of what kind of existed here for decades. I mean, it existed since the summer of love before you and I were ever born back in the sixties that's really where it kind of culminated from and just built up from there over the years.
0: And uh, so can you tell me having grown up in kind of the uh, in the triangle of of cannabis um, what what's what's been going on how how have you seen um, California progress over the last 20 plus years of from from you know obviously to the caregiver cards and the you know, the medicinal cannabis and uh, to, you know, for recreational and and the thriving industry that it is now?
1: Great question, man. You know, growing up, it was 100% illicit. You know, I grew up with the Dare on Drugs program, which I know is a bit more of a domestic thing, but that came about in the early 80s out of LA. And so we grew up with this whole war on drugs through the 80s and 90s. Um, to your point, the uh, Compassionate Care Act, um, aka Prop 215, but that came into fruition in 1996. So we've had some level of legalization. Uh, I mean, you know, It's crazy to say, but for 25 years now in this state, um, at first it was heavily medicinal, it's for HIV and AIDS patients, for people dealing with uh, you know, glaucoma, insomniac, et cetera. Um, the early, early mid 2000s is when it kind of morphed into kind of anyone could get a, a what we call the rec card, right? A recommendation card. I mean, you ultimately got to a point where you could go online and order one from a doctor. You and I could FaceTime if you were the doctor as the patient, and I could get a card that quick. Uh, That was the mid 2000s. We saw Prop 64, which was adult use, that came into fruition in the late teens in 2018. Um, It was a game changer because gone were the days of the Wild West. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of pounds being slanged back in. The earlier years of legalization, um, with the full adult use legalization, came just this whole impact of taxation and due process and, and permits and licenses. And you know, you're expanding, you're expanding your business and in, in your portfolio. You get this, like, there's a lot of red tape, man, for doing it the legal way. And so that's been a little bit of frustrating for people. And there's also a high barrier of entry. Oh yeah, yeah, man. It's not like you know, Oklahoma City. You and I could go, especially guys like you and I. We could go and slate in OKC. You can get a permit for twenty five hundred bucks to start an operation in Oklahoma. You need two hundred fifty thousand bucks to get something off the ground here in California, and it's a competitive market because it's it's such a limited license space. Even though we've got almost 43 million, yeah, just under forty three million people in this state, it's the largest state in the union. Second place being Texas with about 30 million, New York, 20 million, Florida, 20 million. We're the size and bigger than many countries. You know, Canada to the north of us, they're the second largest landmass in the world. They've got a population of 36 million. So it, it's, it's kind of tough because we don't have, we have the demand, but we don't have the supply on the legal side. So a lot of people go back to the illicit. A lot of black markets still doing strong out here as far as sales go.
0: Yeah, but if you can if you can put a seed in the ground and grow it yourself, there's always going to be a black market. Like that's that that goes with the territory, you know, and and the pirate culture that comes with cannabis and weed activism. Like fuck that, they fuck the government, blah blah blah. But you know, it's pretty progressive that California has allowed recreational. And now, what? How many? How many states in America now? Is it 18 that have gone full rec? Is that correct?
1: No, uh, we're just hedging on 14 now. Uh, It's pretty 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 cool because it's been such an influx and increase over the last several years. Uh, But we do have well over 40 states that have some level of legalization. Technically, if you count anything that allows more than the legal limit for hemp, we're upwards of over 45 states that have some legal cannabis program. People don't know that. Even Texas, people think it's, it's one of the last states that doesn't allow it. Texas actually has a compassionate care program. They only have three dispensaries in the whole damn state and Texas is big not as big as Australia but they just don't have quite the representation so it's it's a vast majority and 70 over 75% of the populace are in favor of legalization at some level it's just the blue hairs we've got politics like you guys it's just democracy versus parliament or or and and
0: how do you, how do you see the potential um, push for federal legalization in America do you think it's a possibility in
1: the next 5 years Yeah, 100%. It's going to happen in the next five years. Um, This year, I've been saying it for the last three or four years, this year is going to be a bit of a watershed moment. Something's going to happen, although it might be something as conservative as decriminalization or possibly descheduling. I don't think it's going to be a full federal legalization, but our country needs money. We're in debt in in the trillions, (laughs) as you probably know. We kind of buy our way out of problems. And I think the federal government is going to get over itself with this whole bullshit war on drugs that it's been slinging since the Anslinger days of of early 1912, and they're finally going to come to realization that cannabis can save the day in many ways, even if only by financial gain via taxes. You know. Um,
0: Do you have any idea what the uh, the annual turnover of the recreational market just in California is?
1: Oh my gosh! Rough estimate. (laughs) We're in the billions. I mean, we're in the billions, you know, as far as poundage, because there's just still so much being produced here. It's it's insane. Uh, we're still a great supplier. Now, we've seen a huge drop in average price per pound wholesale. We're as low as 450 US dollar for outdoor, I mean, top shelf outdoor out of the triangle. Um, a big thing that's been a factor in that is $450 a pound. If you can believe that, man, 450 US. So, yeah, fucking let's see. That's, that's, we, need, like to, we need to, we
0: need to, we need to fill a giant fucking plane full of that Dude. and bring it back to Australia.
1: Because if you think, man, that's $600 Canadian approximately. Yeah. But you guys are still getting brick weed from freaking Asia. That's what's crazy is you guys are where we were 30, 40 years ago when we were getting brick weed from Mexico. Well, now, now in we-
0: Australia, now in Australia, you, we do have medicinal cannabis finally in the last yeah. two or three years. Um, it, is, yep. it is quite accessible to everybody. It, it does cost about between $500 and $1,000 to be able to get that. Um, now, it has it become a lot more accessible. There's probably about just under around 200,000 medicinal patients in the whole country, which out of a population yep. of, you know, 25, 24 million is not a lot. But the biggest problem that we have here is that people aren't aware that you can get the medicinal cannabis uh, license. And also they think that if they are aware, they think that you must be terminally ill to be able to get it when in reality, yeah. it's pretty easy. Like you, you, anyone can pretty much get it. It's pretty quite similar to what would have been in like, you know, the early two thousands in California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Um, we also have very strict drug driving laws where we get swabbed. And if you come up positive for any kind of cannabis use they, even though they don't have a, a, like a a, basically a a way to detect on how much is in your system Um, if you get caught with any kind of cannabis in your system even if you're a medicinal patient you immediately lose your license for three months so that's probably one of the the, the, that's probably one of the biggest um, problems that we have in Australia I'm actually currently working on changing that with um, with a couple of big lawyers, the ex head of the Australian federal police, and another gentleman who was one of the top um, Supreme court judges in the state of new South Wales. Um, nice. And we've, we're trying to, we're, we're hiring, we're actually doing a big uh, bu- campaign on the side of a bunch of buses where we're renting, um, we're renting like kind of retail space on the side of the buses and kind of saying N D D D T or whatever the, whatever the fuck it's called. Um, and basically like encouraging people to, the movement for like kind of freeing up medicinal patients to be able to drive on their medication, because if you're on opiates, you're allowed to drive. If you're on, you know, Prozac or if you're on any of those traditional um, (inaudible) traditional medicines. um, So cannabis is kind of being vilified at the same time, even though it is legal under the system. So that's one of the big challenges that we're facing is trying to change that state by state. Um, and then potentially, you know, pushing towards full legalization. Obviously, you're probably aware that Germany's talking about full legalization. Uh, I remember on a on a texting uh, conversation the other day, you were saying that Costa Rica is potentially going to go.
1: Yeah, I'm heading down there Monday to go hopefully celebrate with them. They're getting the paper signed now for medical. To your point, Germany announced unofficially uh, early December adult use legalization. That was surprising because all parties so, are so on board. G- Germany's legalized it, have they? Is that correct? Yeah. So they announced it officially December 12th, that they're going to move forward with adult use. It's going to take a little bit of time. German Germans are a little uptight when it comes to policy and politics. So it'll probably take a few years to come into fruition. But Germany's on. Luxembourg, who announced back in 2018, that they're going to do adult use. Um, they're a little slow to come on, but we're hoping this year they come on. They're going to start with private. So it's going to be privatized, not commercialized. So essentially, you and I could grow and, and we can share, but we can't We can't sell. There is actually one
0: state in Australia that that has decriminalized cannabis. ACT. Yeah, Australian (laughs) Capital Territory, which is um, Canberra. Um, So can you give us a little bit more information on what you know about that kind of stuff in Germany and Luxembourg and what other countries do you see potentially pushing forward? Obviously, the UK even announced that they potentially might be looking into this as well
1: yeah it's really crazy man and and to um actually i should share a little disclosure so i write a monthly column for a domestic b2b cannabis uh, magazine called mg mg retailer mg magazine and that's actually my column is to talk about the expansion of legalization on a global level so i just got done did an article actually on australia Three or four months back, I just did one on New Zealand, which has an interesting history with cannabis. Um, The biggest surprise I'm looking forward to write about is Malta, which Malta is not by any means a large country in the European Union, but it's still a country in the European Union, albeit a small island um, south of of the mainland. But they just announced adult use. Um, It's still relevant because you know how the EU works, kind of similar to Australia, kind of similar to the US. You know, if you're a part of that union, if you're a part of that conglomerate, then you do have an overarching influence. So between Malta in the South, Luxembourg in the Western Europe region, and then Germany in the Northern European region, you have three different places that are saying we are going to move forward with adult use or recreational use cannabis uh, within the next year or two. I mean, that's huge and like you said already Ireland's been working on a medical beta program that they're going forward with. Uh, England, is,
0: England is potentially as well, so what what's that France yeah. as well. Now,
1: yeah know, France France started their medical beta program last year.
0: Okay, so with these medical programs um, what what's the barrier of entry of actually being able to to um, comer, to make it commercially viable for companies to enter into do you, are you aware of some of these laws.
1: Yeah, that's some of the challenge. So depending, just like stateside here, it depends on the politics of the specific city, state, or country. So um, in France is a good example where this beta test, they specifically commissioned sourcing the flour for this beta medical program with one specific licensed producer that's hailed out of Canada. Um, same with the limited amount of applicants. I think it's only a few hundred uh, that are allowed, into to your point, in a lot of instances, it is the terminally ill, or those that have no other alternative to a solution for medical condition. Uh, so that's what's going on in France. Ireland's even more conservative than that. Uh, England's been a bit of a shit show, to be honest. You know, the, the, <laughs> the United Kingdom has a lot going on and, and obviously was dealing with Brexit and all of Boris's bullshit, but um, England's kind of a, a little bit of a, um, a hypocrite, if you will, because England happens to be the home of the largest exporter of medical cannabis in the world, and that's GW Pharmaceuticals, which just got acquired by Jazz Pharmaceuticals out of Ireland last year. So you have the largest producer and exporter of medical cannabis in the world, based in England, and England is still trying trying to figure out how to move forward with their medical program. There's just so much politics mm-hmm. there. And in the, the point of entry, it's your just in general entry from a patient, a consumer, or from a producer or a provider is very challenging very challenging so it's it's a lot of work to be done
0: um
1: and so can you
0: tell me what about the um what about what are some of the emerging markets that you see a lot of potential in as as a as a commercially viable industry
1: yeah from a commercially viable standpoint Um, There definitely are some countries that are more open-minded than others. I'd start in South America. Colombia has been taking the lead down there. There's other Paraguay and, and, you know, you have Chile coming on and such. But really, Colombia is a great epicenter. They're already a notary of production of cannabis on the illicit side for decades, amongst other um, illicit drugs. But they are ones that, at first, they only allow the exportation of oil or concentrate which didn't yield much profit. I mean, it was only in the millions amount of sales being exported. Uh, They since have lifted that a few months back, they actually lifted to allow the exportation of flour. So Colombia is gonna be one to keep an eye on. Um, Costa Rica, uh, obviously that's one that is garnering our attention because they're in central, America so they are on what we call the International Highway 1d which gives access all the way up to the US and Mexico all the way down to Peru. so their location, especially being right there next to Panama and the Panama Canal and access of ports on both the Gulf side of the uh, peninsula as well as the Pacific side. So Costa Rica's one uh, going over to your side in a you know Asia Pacific, uh, Thailand actually has some good things going on, and commercially, I think it's going to be viable. The government's coming around, and they're on board. Um, I wish New Zealand would move forward quicker. Um, you know, Australia's well, interesting.
0: Well, New lately. Zealand, New Zealand did the plebiscite last year to to fully recrea- to fully legalize recreational cannabis, but they did the plebiscite, which is um, they did the plebiscite based off um, they had a two two questions that they put to the New Zealand people, and one was euthanasia um and which is assisted suicide and I I think that that was a political play in order to be able to make sure that cannabis didn't get legalized I think that Jacinta Arden acts like she's very progressive but I think that she's very much under the thumb of the pharmaceutical and the corporations um obviously she's a politician um she plays this role up that she's for the people by the people but I really don't think that she is really like that um And I think that had it have not had it have been a non-COVID year, I think that people would have that would have voted to legalize cannabis in New Zealand. I think from from what I've read per capita, there's more cannabis consumers in New Zealand than any other country on planet Earth. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, there's a there's a big culture there of, you know, kind of like anti-government, like hippie kind of, you know, hippie movement in places like Nelson and Mochueku and down south and, you know, and, and also on the North Island in, in, in Mar- a lot of Maori, Maori and Maori or whatever you want to, however you pronounce it properly. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people smoke weed in New Zealand, but yeah. that is the, the, our culture of down under because it's so, because it's so illegal and you can get into a lot of trouble, you know, our, our, our communities here, we smoke Orchi bottle bongs and it's like, it's looked down upon because the cannabis here isn't as good as California it's not as prevalent in the society and because it's so illegal you know the culture just gets kind of trampled on so to speak yeah. and um had new zealand have gone potentially legal um that could have started a mass political kind of movement in australia for towards legalization um from what i've been told i've, I've communicated with the deputy health minister of australia who is basically the boss of the TGA, which is our kind of governing group of all pharmaceutical related stuff, which cannabis comes under this, under the guise of. And he basically explained to me that um that because of the opium trade coming out of Tasmania, we we're the highest produce we're the biggest producers of opium in the world for commercial use, for morphine and for other opiate drugs. Um, There's so much money that gets um, contributed to the Australian economy through that that that, that the, 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 a lot of the politicians are scared that that'll that legalizing cannabis will will fuck with the opium trade and the, the, the California and the Tasmanian politicians that are responsible for those areas are very powerful in the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate because they represent farming areas that contribute a lot of money to the parties that they represent.
1: yeah. Yeah, we have mainstream politics here you know we have the state of kentucky you've probably heard about the south and kentucky is probably one of the most northern states of the south or at least the mentality thereof and we had a cash crop that was similar a um, little different at price point but we had tobacco right and tobacco was a cash crop for the carolinas as well as kentucky and when that all of a sudden became the biggest export not a domestic crop for these growers, all of a sudden they pivoted and they pivoted to hemp, but that's part of the reason why there's so much of a push now coming from the South finally, because the South is a little bit slower to come around to things, you know, our um, forward thinking and more modernism is more so associated with our coastlines. So think of kind of like your Perth and Sydney, that's kind of like our New York and San Francisco, right, or New York and LA that's where more of that modern thinking is the inland is a little bit more traditional maybe stuck the, two, three, four, five decades. the fos is the flyover states but kentucky i give them credit man because not only have they hammered it out of the park with the the hemp movement but now they're trying to do adult use as well because they see the potential for exportation once federal legalization comes about so they swapped one crop for another now i know i know opium crops I know that the poppies are obviously worth more than a tobacco plant um, but the, but the opportunity is there that's a the crazy part is it's still a high paying uh, cannabis massive. is the fifth highest yielding crop as far as revenue in our country right now wow that's, you know? that's pretty fantastic and so yeah.
0: b- b- based off um, your experience in the industry and 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 working in media and stuff like that which state in your opinion do you think has gotten it the best model to be able to distribute the cannabis and and what do you and, then, and an extra question is what do you think about Canada and their their kind of way how they've legalized it and how British Columbia has kind of state-run socialist uh, dispensaries, <laughs> so to speak.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, and not just BC but Ontario as well, eh? uh, So domestically on the state side, uh, hate to say it, but California definitely doesn't have the model. I'd say if anything. Um, from a modeling standpoint, I've been pretty impressed with Colorado. You know, I went out there, uh, my first stint in the legal industry was in Colorado. I've been impressed with Colorado because the way that they regulated, the way they uh, licensed, and the way that they tax it, um, not just that, but the way that they contribute the taxes that are actually uh, gained from the industry. So um, there's everything from uh, scholarships available to every graduating student from the high schools of $4,000 U.S., Uh, No matter their GDP, their religion, ethnic, or gender, um, everyone qualifies. So that's a great program. All of the what we call Section 8 or um, lower, uh, lower level income living assistance that comes out of that program. So I think Colorado has done a really good job. California, again a lot of politics a bigger state we're the size of many countries so it's been a challenge um so i wouldn't put california on that list probably second and third i'd give to uh i wouldn't i wouldn't give to washington because they squashed their medical program when they launched their adult use so that was done wrong uh nevada has done a pretty good job little wonky with the licenses canada now canada has a bit more in common with california than just the two-letter acronym of their country Uh, both being CA and CA, Uh, I do applaud Canada. They legalized October 17th, 2018. And then what they did was they only launched flower. So they started off with the true organic origin of this plant. And then they didn't introduce concentrates until what they call cannabis 2.0, which was on the anniversary of the legalization. So that didn't come into fruition until October 17th, 2019. I think that was a smart move. I think it's smart for people to start slow, go low, as we say, or start low, go slow. Um, That's a methodology that tells people just, you know, this isn't, this isn't alcohol. Don't just get pissed drunk and, and everything's okay. You can sleep off the hangover. You know, you you OD on on cannabis, not OD to the point of dying. I mean, OD of excessive amount of uptake, um, it can mess people up. I mean, it gets that psychoactive level, and it scares a lot of people. You know, so I think it's cool they did that. Unfortunately, to your point, it's government regulated. So a good example is picking on Ontario, not just BC. They have the OSC, which everything has to essentially be sold through the government. So you have privatized, you have Canopy, Tilray, Aurora, Tweed, you know, all these names, these huge LPs. The LPs actually have to sell their product to the government and then from the government to the dispensaries or from the government to the- Just to
0: make you aware that in British Columbia, that's how the liquor is dispensed as well. Yeah. So so you have have state-run liquor stores. They have beer and wine shops in Canada, but you can't buy hard liquor at those shops. You have to go to a BC- liquor store to be able to buy you know stuff like
1: fireball or vodka or whatever like that so yeah we have abc too the only place we have abc here is in the state of washington which ironically butts up against british columbia Uh, but you're right it's the same thing the government regulates it and it creates a a socialist
0: that's a socialist commonwealth thing
1: (laughs) it very it's a very interesting commonwealth thing to your point that's i'm not a fan of it I don't think uh, there's any problem with their privatized. Sometimes, I mean, for for the alcohol industry here domestically, they self-govern phenomenally well. They do have rules and regulations associated with things like ABC and ATF. But as far as them managing and regulating themselves, they do a phenomenal job of that as well, above and beyond all the compliance to follow um, by the law of the government. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of Canada in that regard. Um, They're also a a big thing. It's kind of cool, man. If you have heard about this in Canada, there's been a bit of an uprising where large LPs, these large commercial guys that knew nothing about the industry that came in with these big vestments, 70, 80X vestments in in their um, publicly traded companies, those guys are starting to suffer. So the consumer is actually dictating the success by their wallet. They're voting by their wallet and they're really contributing and actually supporting the smaller or SMBs, as we call them, small, medium-sized businesses versus the large scale, because they know those guys are in it for the right reason. They're in it to put out the best possible product to take care of their consumer and their needs. So I think that's a bit of an awakening for Canada that the biggest is always the best, nor will they always be the most
0: profitable. Um, so one of the problems that I've kind of seen in uh, in the USA is the fact that obviously we, we my business partners and I, we, currently own one weed dispensary um and we're looking to open another one in somewhere in socal and potentially another one in central california um we looked into um the possibility of um cultivation manufacturing and then distribution licenses um the the uh price of you know the average price per pound of cannabis has gone quite down the, the gurgler and it's become quite quite difficult to be able to run a sustainable business in the cannabis industry, depending on what you do, obviously. Now yeah. um, at the moment, under the federal guise, we've had a lot of trouble with our banking and that we've had our bank accounts seized and seized from us several times because the fact is that cannabis isn't federally legalized. Now, correct? do you, and, and also the fact is that you can't ship cannabis over state lines. So if you have a cannabis company and you want to run in multiple States, you have to have an infrastructure in each one of those states that that basically manufactures each product that you want to distribute. Is that correct? Yes? That's spot on. Yeah, we call them
1: MSOs, multi-state operators.
0: Okay, so now can you tell me, based off your vast experience, do you think that the game is gonna be quantified exponentially by the fact that if they do legalize cannabis federally and allow the banking to happen, And then potentially open the doors to be shipped over state lines. Does that change everything and then make the cannabis industry that much more viable and and potential growth that much more huge because you now can ship from one place to the rest of the country?
1: 100%. I think we're going to move into what we consider a micro macro so we're going to have um we hate to compare it to the alcohol industry but it, it's it's another one that's well, pretty com- it's pretty comparable in my opinion it is it really is so you look at how the micro breweries have come up and have gotten exponential market share in recent years because people want that handcrafted end product the same is going to be applicable for the cannabis industry so while you're going to have the walmarts of weed as we call them these huge million square foot, 5 million square foot operations under canopy, um, those are gonna be the ones that are supplying the, the Colt 45 or the St. Ides liquor, you know, the, the, the cheap solution, if you will. The ones that are going after the finer scotches and whiskies, that's gonna be the micro cultivators, as we call them, cottage style growers, Um, that are going to come out of the triangle. And I think that is going to help normalize the price per pound because you can get a 12 pack of beer Mm. here for eight bucks, or you can get a 12 pack of beer for 18 bucks. You know, it depends on what you want. Um, So that is going to happen. Uh, What you're talking about, you're right. You you can stack licenses here. The only license you can't hold as a California cannabis uh, uh, business owner is a lab. You can only hold a lab license, not any other license, but you can hold any other license, not and, a lab license. And can,
0: can you explain to the listeners what a lab license is and what the difference yeah. is, but what the several, what are the several different licenses are for the, for the um,
1: layman? Yeah, so there's, there's <clears throat> a cultivator producer, there's processor, there's um, a processor with distillation, mm-hmm. that'd be short path CO2 extraction, ethanol, et cetera. Um, there's also a strictly distribution, uh, there's retailer. And then you have the live license so we require what we call coas uh, which essentially is an assessment of the elements in the product to make sure that it's safe for consumption no heavy metals pesticides herbicides etc um, so that is uh, at the onus of the lab and every individual that, that produces a pound has to provide a coa um, before that pound can be purchased in free market uh, so yeah it's, it's an interesting space your point. It's taxed so much. I mean, you have growers that are taxed $126 per pound. If the median price per pound, and this is just the California index, is sitting around, will we'll be nice. We'll call it $500 for top shelf outdoor, and $126 goes in taxes just from it being produced, never mind the taxes upstream, right? Or downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, just the $126 to the producer, uh, it gets expensive. There's not as much meat on the bone as people think. You know, mm. uh, but hopefully to your point, if we drop the borders. Now, technically, um, a guy I'm a big fan of, uh, um, Blumenauer, who's uh, a senator out of uh, Oregon, state of Oregon. They're very forward thinking. So they did something last year that Portugal did 10 years ago. They decriminalized all drugs. And the same time as decriminalized all drugs, they actually introduced uh, allowing exportation of cannabis. Um, not only was he on board with it, but the governor of the state was. So they signed it in. But the problem is, you need reciprocity. So even though they said, "Hey, we can now export weed," they need another state to say, "Hey, we can willingly willingly accept the weed." And even then, you're doing a federal violation because you're mm-hmm. crossing So, you,
0: so it does so the, state, laws. so the state the state the state laws basically would get thrown out of the if you got taken to the high to the high court or to the supreme court as you guys call it. Correct. Um, yep. Which we actually, we call the we supreme high court, whatever you want to call it, same shit. Yeah, different. magistrates. Rockies. Um <laughs> So yeah, yeah, with their with their wigs and stuff like that. Um, yes. <laughs> so 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 that would so the federal law supersedes the state law. So how do you see as an industry leader, and you know, obviously you interact in a lot of different places. How do you see the potential? Um, you know, how the potential of going in that direction, like what what do you see the trends? Um, How do you see the politics? You you visit a lot of different states. You manage quite a large company, which I'll ask you about in a minute. Um, Can you give us a little bit of um, kind of insight from your perspective on where you see the industry going in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think we are continuing on the right track. The trains already left the proverbial station. There's no turning back, as we say. Um, It's been slowed. It's been sped up. It's been slowed. Uh, just based off of, you know, things change here every four years at the the federal level, at least. Um, So that's been a factor into it. But um, again, with the majority of the populace in favor of cannabis at some level, it's just a matter to where it does become more of a power to the people. Uh, Some of the things that people are dealing with is a heartache. You brought up banking. Banking is the biggest challenge. And there's different points. We've
0: lost lost seven bank accounts. I've met people that have lost 15, 16 bank accounts from running, trying to bank with their weed dispensaries. My business partner had to go to, is it Sacramento or was it Fresno? What's the, Sacramento is the capital of California. And he, and he originally two years ago, he paid for our cannabis license for our weed dispensary in cash. And that was like, whatever, how many thousands, over $50,000. And he's carrying that in cash. And he said it was in a little bit of a ghetto area in San Francisco, in um, Sacramento in Sactown. Yeah, and, of and, uh, and he said that it's quite, you know, it was quite, quite interesting to carry that amount of cash into a, into a federal building or not a federal building, a state run building to process, you know, their license. And um, so, how do you see that obviously affecting the industry that, that they allow credit cards and, And are are credit cards allowed? Are you allowed to purchase weed with with credit cards or is that like a gray area?
1: That's a slippery slope, yeah. So there's um, third-party vendors out there, merchants, as they're called in that banking space, that do allow it. But what they do is they set it up to where it has um, maybe the company that owns a dispensary. uh, They start up a marketing agency or they start up a consulting agency. And what they do is they establish the merchant account through that other company. And then they take the, the purchase um, and processing through there. Now, what that is technically by U.S. federal law, that would be considered laundering, although be it kind of to your point a gray space level of laundering, it is still technically money laundering because you're collecting money for something, but you're masking the purchase of that with said money for something so else. You got, so basically, um, if you got taken to a federal court, you could be charged for money laundering. Yes, that's correct. If you're doing merchant account, now the one thing that I would recommend, not just to you and your investors and partners, but to anyone in this space, we Mm. have two different types of banking here. We have what's federally insured or FDIC insured banks that are publicly traded, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, those would be the top three. But you have another side of the spectrum that are called CUs or credit unions. Now, credit unions, while they do have a level of insurance that's blanketed across the country. It is not FDIC. It's a it's a different level of insurance that's established by this entity. So credit unions do banking in this space and do allow banking in this space. So a lot of my friends that are banking and successfully banking without being shut down are banking with credit unions because credit unions almost have a bit of a, I don't know if you wanna say clemency, but they have a bit of freedom more so than those publicly held banks. Another thing I should share really quick, because you know my background is media. We did an investigative report on it. The federal government has not yet to this date actively pursued any bank as it pertains to handling or taking in cannabis associated currency. So to repeat that again, the federal government is not going after these public banks. The reason why the public banks keep shutting down and giving you guys shit, or giving anyone in the industry, is because of their fear of the federal government. Because one hundred percent, but they, but they, they got yeah. bought out. They got,
0: yeah,
1: they, got but, out. Yeah, they got
0: bailed out. They got bailed out. But also at the same yeah. time, you know the the while while the cannabis industry is is very lucrative, um, and it is billions and billion dollars of dollars of trade. Some of these banks are doing trillions and trillions in trade, oh, yeah. hundreds of billions. So for them to risk. All of their portfolio on two to three to five percent of turnover, yep. based off cannabis, it's not really that's not really a good play for them, and they're not they're very gung shy as opposed to gung ho with any kind of risk. So I can exactly. understand from a from a from a from the perspective of a uh, of a merchant banker working on Wall
1: Street, why would you bother? So and that's exactly why CU's credit unions, and I've been with CU's since 1995. But that's exactly why CUs are supportive, because to your point, their diversity in their portfolios nowhere nearly as established as these large behemoths. They're smaller businesses that work together in, in a network, right? So <coughs> they are more so am- to answer the call because they know that we won't forget. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to be with a CU for my life. My credit cards are with, a, with B of A because of the buying power and because of the insurance that I have with them. But my personal banking and my investment and portfolio all runs through credit unions, because that's where the greatest yield and support comes for me in that space. So
0: now um, next subject, uh, I'm curious, how do you see the potential of uh, international cannabis companies entering into the U.S. market? And how do you see uh, the second question being, how do you see the world starting to link up? Um like you know between you know american com- companies expanding into the german english costa rican markets and you know obviously being you know the brands becoming worldwide brands like cookies or whatever big big dispensary or whatever big you know cannabis brands that are popular in each dispensary in each you know kind of little corner of your country how do you see that kind of playing yeah. out in the next three to five
1: years Is there potential
0: growth for for an Australian cannabis brand to be launched in America, do you think?
1: I would think so. I mean, you know, you and I have special friends down under, especially you being from there. But the friends that I go to visit when I come to your country, I've smoked some phenomenal flour. I've come across some phenomenal flour. There's guys down there growing genetics out of Spain and California, which are the two genetic capitals in the world. Um, So the potential is there. You guys have the right latitude. um, So you have the right temperate to be able to produce some phenomenal cultivars. Um, So I could see there being a bit of Appalachians, not just Appalachians associated with the Emerald Triangle, but what are these cultivars that grow best in South Africa? What are these that grow best in um, New South Wales? What are these that grow best in uh, the Sudan? I mean, you look at it and there's potential for that on the international level. Now, companies conquesting into the US, that's more so dominant with the ancillary, right? So we see uh, from Asia, a lot of the lighting in the electronic side of the industry. You know, um, Now, for the U.S. expanding into other countries, we're very fortunate where um, people still associate us with um, when it comes to R&D and technology in our own right, but also just the engineering and the product we put out. But even the flower, I mean, like you said, there, that's one of the few names that when I travel to Europe or South America, um, to Asia, people know the name Humble. They, they know Mendocino in some cases as well. They know of these places that are notorious with producing some of the best flour in the world. So I think there's great opportunity there for some crossover of brand on international level. Now to your point too, one of the only international brands that I know of that produces flour that's really recognized. I don't really count the LPs because the LPs are so white collar buttoned up that they aren't necessarily building a brand off of quality. They're building yeah. a brand off of equity. Yeah. Um, but- the biggest brand is cookies, you know, friend burner. I mean, that dude, he's been, I ran into him over in Europe when we were at Spanibus a few years ago. There were dudes walking up with burner tattoos and cookies shirts and all kinds of stuff. And for him to be able to create an international brand, he has a dispensary in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's building one up in London. Uh, it's, I don't know how, it's pretty crazy, but he's got an operation he's establishing in London and there's other places he's looking in Europe. So to be able to go international is really plausible. Um, you just have to have brand equity and you have to have the right business plan, you know?
0: Um, and so can you give us a little bit of um, background on, um, on Bovita and what, what, your, what your current role is with that? Oh no, sorry, not well, Bovita. Yeah, sorry, actually, you Boveda moved on. Was- what you did. So yeah. part of pardon of me. I'm sorry, I'm going back to you as you you're now working for another company. My apologies. COVID, we haven't yeah, seen no each other for a while. Um, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on what you did with Bovita and now what you do with the new company that you're working for?
1: Yeah, so with uh Boveda, I definitely love them. I came on with them. Uh, can you they explain were kind to of people what the- they, what they what they do? Oh, for sure, man, so Boveda or Boveda, depending on where you're from, how you pronounce it, um, it just means a safe, secure space in Latin, uh, so Boveda, I got on with them, they are phenomenal, so they came up with a solution, literally, uh, this solution in this little sachet, uh, here's one right here, so um, this is the, let me see, you can see that, yeah, so yeah, this I is fit. just a yeah, couple yeah. sachet, right, so it's just these little packs, these little moisture packs to keep your flower fresh. So there's three things that degradate flower, um, any flower that comes off of its life source. So when you pick something from the stem, there's three things that are causing that to degradate. You have oxygen, things that get oxygenated, right? Um, you have um, moisture, the amount of moisture content in it. And then you obviously have the last thing, sunlight or any sort of light exposure. So this helps maintain the right moisture. So you put it in a safe spot, like I use personally, and you probably do too, I'm a big fan of sea vaults. So seabalt's another thing where you literally just pop this open, stash your product in it, you see it's got a a bovara in the cap. Um, Keeps it out of the light, keeps it out of the oxygen, keeps the proper moisture. So my task with them was to expand them internationally even further and to get more brand equity and market penetration. Uh, Did a really good job. They've, gosh, they doubled in size in the time I was there. They've doubled in size again since I left. Uh, so they are already 4X the size they were when I came on with them. They're doing phenomenally well. It was bittersweet, but it was time for me to move on. I accomplished what I wanted to there in the, the two and a half, three years I was there. Um, now I'm with Greenbros. So Greenbros, we manufacture um, post-harvesting solution systems. So uh, trimmers, sorters, grinders, um, anything you need to process the flower. So, so the more,
0: more so process. in the manufacturing and cultivation space. As opposed yep. to the as in, as opposed to the consumer space, which Bovita was was in. Yep. So so you've you've Sorry. so based off that you have had a, quite a diverse portfolio of jobs over the last two or three years or five years really, that, isn't it? Coming yeah, from coming weed maps into now. the consumer space, and then now yeah. you're working in the um in the manufacturing and and distribution kind of portion of the cannabis industry.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, I've been in the legal industry for a total of eight years. And while at first it was with media, and I still dabble in that, being in marketing, um, but it's like dog years. You know this, you're in it now. Um, It's crazy how fast time flies because there's so much going on. Yeah, definitely diversified myself between running sales, running operations, now running marketing and business development. Um, I try to be a jack of all trades because that's what a lot of companies in this space need. They want to build a brand. They want to build an audience. You know, they want to obviously establish a culture to the craft. It's
0: been fun. We might have to come along and sweep you off your feet and, and, uh, and give you a new <laughs> CEO position. With that, I'll talk to you about that at, at, on another podcast that we won't broadcast. But hey, um, when you talked about uh,
1: opening up an operation at Central Coast, that's close to my heart. That's where oh, I went to college. Oh, so oh, we oh, I've, got to- a, I've got a <laughs> few
0: different things that I'll chat to you. I just wanted to. to it's good to personalize things and, and get when you do a podcast like this, you start talking to each other again, and you and you you open up the old seeds that you know that COVID's kind of destroyed. Obviously, I normally am in America three to oh, four times a year, and and because yeah. we haven't we haven't been able to travel. And I I refuse to get vaccinated because that's another subject that I won't, I won't talk about on camera. But um, so can you tell me what, what is your day-to-day role at, Um, at Green Brothers. Is it Green Bros? Is that how you say it? Green Bros.
1: Yeah, Green Bros. So yeah, really, uh, my focus while I help out a little bit with the team over in sales, my core focus is marketing and business development. So a day in the life of, uh, I hosted a webinar, speaking of of broadcasting, hosted a webinar today with my team. I had my CEO and my head of operations on there. We were talking shop um, about ways to efficiently streamline process in any operation. Um, But also constantly working on plans for expansion of the brand, Um, also marketing plans for the future. Um, Right now, I'm getting ready to wrap things up. Like I said, uh, heading over to uh, Costa Rica, uh, leaving Monday morning, going to be down there for a week to help onboard their legalization. Um, and what we're doing with that opportunity is we're actually talking to the government of Costa Rica. We're going to be part of their standard operating procedures for processing flour because they're setting all these standards in place before legalization. And just, so, just,
0: just for that, just for, the, just for the, the record, that is medicinal cannabis. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So not, not recreational.
1: Fruit. Not yet. Yeah, and recreational just, isn't too popular in, in LATAM yet. They're still focusing on medical first and then recreational second in, in Latin America.
0: Yep, same with Australia. And I don't see Australia yeah. potentially legalizing for a long time, even though we've put in so much effort. Um, and so, yeah, so what, what more, more so to the day-to-day operations, how do you find when you're working with bureaucrats like that about this kind of subject? How do you go about educating them and trying to put forth the uh, the American rhetoric that that you, uh, that you guys have created and how you see you know having an influence like that to be able to create a better system is probably pretty pretty interesting for you.
1: It is quite. And to your point with based on my background times the conversation kind of meanders um, into all aspects of the industry and the community, um, which I'm happy to bring. So we definitely love bringing the influence on how we take it serious, how we're professional, um, how we do look at it as being medicinal first and recreational second. Um, it's a game changer. Obviously, it's, it's a disruptor as a plant. It disrupts, like we discussed, the medical industry, um, specifically pharmaceuticals. It disrupts the textile industry because of hemp. Um, it disrupts the alcohol and tobacco industry because being an alternative uh, from a recreational standpoint. So a lot of interesting conversations come up. But the one thing that we discuss is, hey, we know what we're doing. We've been growing some phenomenal cannabis in this country. the last century so we're very familiar with the plant we're very familiar with what makes it work and what makes it more effective um so we definitely appreciate the opportunity we have to to have those conversations especially with to your point with the politics and the politicians Um,
0: and and now crossing over from cannabis more specific to um to cbd um how do you see that that growing in the uh in the world is there still a a market a big market opportunity for new brands to come into that American space
1: and then distribute worldwide? Interesting question. So, we had something called the Farm Bill of 2018. So, every four years, they assess the Farm Bill for this country because although, you know, uh, a century ago, 72% of all habitants were farmers in the US, obviously now that's fractional in the teens, uh, but still we address the Farm Bill every four years. And in the 2018 Farm Bill, they descheduled CBD. Uh, specifically hemp-derived CBD, so point under uh, 0.4% or less, essentially, of THC uh, concentrate in that biomass. Um, we saw a huge, like a, just a, an amazing uh, flush of CBD products and offerings the following few years, and then everything kind of pulled back because there was a bit of snake oil and stuff that was inaccurate and illegitimate, but there's still an opportunity. Cannabidiol is still a phenomenal cannabinoid. Uh, that can be sourced all day from hemp it doesn't have to be thc flower Uh, so if you build a solid brand and and you have again that brand equity associated with it like uh, the stanley brothers with charlotte's web out of colorado they've built themselves a brand and they built themselves a reputation associated with quality you know
0: so so there is a big there still is a big uh potential growth in the cbd industry because it's non-psychoactive And you and you so you you do see that there is a lot of still a lot of growth and a lot of potential for new brands to come in and and become aspirins of that
1: industry. Yeah, if they move some of the uh, the erroneous ones out of the way, I'd say there's definitely that potential. Someone that comes in and does it right, especially someone who gets secured with the right companies. Right. If you're able to become a household name in Target or Walmart. Um, or even a CVS or a a grocery store chain. or whatever. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's definitely going to be beneficial. And there's some individuals I'm friends with that have done that. Um, CBD has become, I I was shopping. Now it's more of a health store. I grew up with hippies, forgive me, but I was in a place called Sprouts and I was looking at healthy deodorant and they had a line of CBD-based deodorant. Awesome. That's cool. I think there's a place for all kinds of products like that, that's CBD-based. And would you would you be open
0: would you would you see yourself working in that space in the future in any way shape or form, or would you stick traditionally uh, just with cannabis?
1: You know, I, my my heart's been in cannabis, just being a cancer survivor. So I love supporting the whole plant as a solution. But having said that, CBD, CBG, cannabigile, or even a CBN cannabinoid, which I'm a huge fan of that cannabinoid, um, I'm definitely okay with segmenting out into those different sectors. Uh, you know me, for me, will it's really I'm passionate and I want a company that's aligned with my core and culture values as it comes to this plant and to this community and industry. That's the most important thing to me. I'll hold the flag I'm holding or that I'm supporting as high as I can, um, as long as they're in the right position of supporting the community and in the industry.
0: Um, can you give us a little bit of background about um, how what what happened, what you were just talking about with you, how you were a cancer survivor and did, did cannabis have any kind of... Um, implications on 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 your health and how and did it help you at all as it through that battle
1: interesting question so next year will actually be my 20 year anniversary of being a survivor Um, for those of us have been through it you know we we oftentimes look at uh, beating cancer as that second birthday for me it's september 18th so that's when i'll be celebrating uh, my 20 year Um, unfortunately back then so obviously if you do the math that was 2003 so we had passed the prop 215 medical Act here, Compassionate Care Act in 1996. Having said that, you know, I had the men's form of cancer um, and my urologist and oncologist, both of them weren't necessarily pro-cannabis. So cannabis unfortunately didn't play as much a role in my short-term rehabilitation and in uh, recovery to healthiness, but it has played a role in the long term. So I always look at holistic whole medicine, um, Eastern medicine, which is something I grew up with in San Francisco in general, because we have a, a high influx of Asian population uh, that always existed in San Francisco, as long as I can remember. And obviously they brought in the Eastern medicine. So I don't use aspirin. I don't use Advil. I don't use Tylenol. I don't use Salmonex, I don't use sleeping pills. Everything I need from a health standpoint, I source from cannabis. So again, I use CBN to help with sleep. I use CBG to help with relaxation or anti uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, anti, uh, stress or, um, um, anti-inflammatory, if you will. Um, and then obviously you turn to, to THC and CBD for things to help with whole body health. So I just look at the plant as a health resource. And again, that's been more so the long-term than the short-term that came out of that.
0: Um, and so on the last subject before we end this, uh, podcast, uh, I've, I've unfortunately have to jet off to another meeting um can you tell me what 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 are some of the um if there was five things that you could pieces of knowledge that you could pass on to say a politician or an advisor or someone setting the policies of a new emerging cannabis market like australia um what, what what would those three to five things be based off your
1: experience in all these different countries first i would say and only because of recently studying and doing articles on places like Australia and New Zealand. Um, I would say first step back and, and try to, to step away from the stigma or the tabooism. Um, unfortunately, Commonwealth countries got sucked into the same vortex that, that the US did with this whole uh, anti-cannabis war on drugs movement. So I'd say first step back and, and, and just excuse yourself from the taboos and the stigma that associated with the plant. And then step forward into educating yourself on the scientific and medical attributes of the plant. Um, A great place to look into that further would be Israel. They are the the capital, hands down, the global capital in studies um, from both a medicinal, uh, you know, medical um, and a scientific standpoint. So I'd say, you know, connect with the University of Cannabis and Cancer in Tel Aviv um, and learn some from them. Uh, The next thing I'd say is Associate yourself with the individuals that have seen benefits from it. So actually connect with a patient. And no matter where that is, if if it's fully illegal where you live, then go to where it isn't. Um, I know at least five prime ministers that visited BC up in Canada when I was there for a convention. And they were all over talking to obviously counterparts in Canada about the program, what's worked, what hasn't, uh, challenges they've come across. So I'd recommend that. Um, And then another thing I'd say, is, again, just keep your mind open in general to to what has to offer, because surprise, alcohol is not a healthy thing to consume. (laughs) To your point, hardcore pharmaceuticals are not healthy things. Anything that's synthetic or poisonous at its root is not a healthy solution to health and to whole heart health. Um, You really have to look at what uh, Mother Nature has to offer. And it's not just cannabis. It can be a psilocybin from mushrooms. It can be uh, anti-inflammatories from uh, from cumin or uh, turmeric. Uh, there's all kinds of plant medicine uh, that can bring solution and resolution to your ailments. And that's what I think that these politicians should step back and look at, step away from the brainwashing of the Western pharmaceutical civilization mentality that so many have embraced for the last several decades. All
0: right. Well, Thank you very much, uh, Lance, for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on uh, the Willies World podcast. Um, hopefully, we can chat again soon. Um, and uh, you know, if you want me to be a guest on your podcast, as you as you said the other day, I'd really be yep. interested in that. Can you give us some? Um, can we give us some some links and where we can find some of your yep. uh, your stuff? Like definitely. What you, who, who, do you write, who do you write for? And, and tell us about your, your podcast. Yeah. Give us some. So I some do um, uh, a monthly
1: column. Yeah, my column, you can find it online at MG uh, Retailer. It's uh, MG Magazine or MG Retailer. You can find it via either. And um, let me give you the exact. So um, um,
0: I will have the links in the description of the uh, on YouTube yeah. and uh, on, on Spotify and wherever you consume yep. your so uh, podcast. MG re-
1: yeah, mgretailer.com. Uh, You can always follow me, uh, Lance C. Lambert, on LinkedIn to get latest articles as well. Um, So that comes out once a month. And again, what I do is I focus on one country per month. Um, I've done Thailand, Australia, New Zealand that's coming out. I've done Germany, uh, Colombia, the U.S., um, Canada. So try to cover the countries that, like, like you were asking, ones that are very relevant in the movement. Uh, the other thing I do is my podcast, which obviously yeah, I would love to have you on. And I what's, just talk pod, about it. What's people. your podcast called? So it's Cure to Consumption. And it's uh, actually produced by Hayes Radio Network. So you can go on to Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Beanpod, wherever you listen to your podcast. And look up Hayes Radio, and you'll find it under Cure to Consumption. And um, those are weekly podcasts. And I interview all kinds of people from around the world, uh, from doctors and scientists and lawyers uh, to cultivators and uh, geneticists and consumers. Crazy
0: curators and crusaders like. Me, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, That's why you need to be on it from cure to oh, consumption. Oh, oh, I'm, 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 down to do it. Maybe we can do it in the next week or two. Um, one yeah. last question. Um, you've been interviewed on a lot of mainstream uh, news networks in the states, CNN, um, and whatever NBC and a whole bunch of other news, net, uh, news programs. Um, kind of on a, as a cannabis guru. Um, how do you find the sentiment of the average American and how it's progressed over the last few years towards cannabis?
1: Oh my god, it's it's night and day. It used to be to your point, the conversations I had around cannabis and the plant in general was, was very heavily weighted on this one-on-one. I'd be in an Uber or I'd be on an airplane and someone would ask where I'm going or what I'm doing or what profession I'm in, and I'd share with them and they disclose their feelings towards the industry and towards the plant and the community. Now it's become more group conversations. There's literally the masses want to know more and they're more accepting, the more open-minded. And Believe it or not, it's that Western medicine. It's that pharmaceutical and the fact that more people, including myself, had had friends that have overdosed and passed away from opioid, um, rather be accidental death or opioid abuse. Um, So a lot of people are seeing what methamphetamines and opioids and cocaine and and, uh, all the Oxycontin, all these different drugs are doing to their friends and their family, and they want a healthy solution, they can get the same resolution. So um, definitely it's come, so much further than where it was just a decade or two decades ago as far as acceptance awesome all right well thanks for your time lance you have a lovely afternoon and
0: yeah. um and uh we'll chat soon thanks, thanks i time, appreciate Ed. it oh it's good sir. peace buddy. bye